Lord, help us receive your grace this morning through the service, through the song, through the sermon. Would you receive all honor, glory, and praise? Amen. You be seated. Amen. Thanks, Caleb and band. Uh, as, you, as you grab a seat, our children can slide out to Transformation Station. And uh, if you're new with us, if you've already checked your child in, they can just follow our leaders down. We'll get them squared away in the classrooms. If you haven't checked your child in, um, just follow them downstairs. And um, our team lead downstairs, Kara, she'll get you um, all connected and, and squared away. Well, hey, as they're sliding out, hey, let's give it up for all of our new guests today. If you're new or newish with us, man, I'm glad you're here today or, or I'm glad you're back. And hey, we've got something special for you today. We have a next luncheon that's designed just for you. It's, a, it's what we would say your first next step would be to attend next. It's going to be right after the service, down the stairs. We'll have people in the lobby showing you where to go. But free lunch, um, about 45 minutes, unpacking what does it look like to take next steps with Jesus and with Redemption Hill. And so we would love for you to, to join us if you've got a little bit of time after the service today. Well, today we're kicking off a new sermon series called Overcome, How Jesus Brings the Victory. So for the next four Sundays, we're going to be in Matthew 15 and 16, looking at four crucial texts building up to Easter. And so today, we're going to be in Matthew 15. So if you've got a Bible with you, let me encourage you to go ahead and, and turn that on or pull that out. If you've got one of the Bibles that we provide, we'll be on page, uh, what's that, page 800. And 20. So we're going to be at Matthew 15 today, and our topic, as we look at the text today, is going to be how do we overcome hypocrisy? Have you ever heard someone say, man, all you Christians are just a bunch of hypocrites? Anybody heard, heard someone say that? Man, I, I, would, I would never step foot in your church. Man, you guys are just full of hypocrites. I mean, the, the sad reality is that oftentimes they're right. And why is this a big deal? Why should we even be concerned with this, this attack of hypocrisy? Well, I agree with Tim Keller when he says this in, in his book, Reason for God. He says, um, when Christians are filled and when churches are filled with self-righteous, exclusive insecure, angry, moralistic people, they are extremely unattractive. When non-believers even get a hint at a smell of hypocrisy, I believe it's repulsive, revolting, and repelling. Like hypocrisy doesn't say, come join us and be a part. And so here's what I want to do today. I want to diagnose and define hypocrisy. And we're going to do that through Matthew 15. And then I'm going to spend the majority of my time pleading with you. Pleading with you to repent of and overcome hypocrisy for your sake. And for the sake of many in our city who need Jesus in a healthy church. You guys there with me? Well, let's, uh, let's go to the text. Let's go to Matthew 15. And let's hear the word of God for us today. Matthew 15, verse 1 says this. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, 
Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And he answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If anyone tells his father or his mother, What you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him. And he said to them, Hear and understand I hear him speaking these same words to us today. Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain the parable to us. And he said, are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Let me pray. Father, as Jesus looked to the crowd and said, hear and understand. We need your grace to us now as we hear and as we seek to respond to your word. Help us to truly hear with our hearts and understand. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There are two strong critiques that Jesus launches at the Pharisees in this passage. The first one is in verse 7 when he says, you hypocrites. And the second one is later on when he calls them blind guides. So here's what I want to do in the first part of, of, the, of our time together today. I want to unpack three blind spots of hypocrisy as we seek to define and diagnose and hear and understand for ourselves. The first one is this. Hypocrites claim to honor God, but neglect to keep His Word. In the first six verses here, what launches Jesus into this counterattack is the Pharisees and scribes, the highest ranking religious 
officials and leaders of his day asked Jesus a question. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? What are they talking about? What's this tradition of the elders? You see, there was this oral teaching that had been passed down and it was commentary and interpretation on how to apply the laws from the Old Testament to your life. If you want to go read this oral tradition today, go to a library and check out the Mishnah or go buy it. It's now been collected and, and you can read. And, and in the Mishnah, there's a whole section called the Yadiyam that is about ritual uncleanliness. And it detailed specifically how they were to go about and be clean. And that was the question that they ask here, not just about the tradition of the elders. They press further and they say, why do your um, disciples, they eat without washing their hands? If you were to go to the Yadium, it would not even tell you about spiritual cleanliness or ritual cleanliness. It would detail out how much water you were to use when washing your hands, and whether you were to use one hand or two hands. I mean, it went on and on on these laws about how to be ritually clean. But here was the problem. Look at Jesus' counterattack in verse 3. He says, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? We may hear, hey, what's the big deal? Your disciples don't eat before they wash your hands? Yeah, I mean, I've got five kids, and that's the majority of them, right? Like, I hear it often, hey, Owen didn't go wash his hands, you know? It's a bigger deal than that. What they're after is, what does it really defile? We see that in verse 20. I mean, at the very end of this passage, verse 20 Jesus summarizes it and says, these are what defile a person, but to eat with, with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. That's what they were after. What is it that makes me dirty? What is it that makes me defiled? What is it that makes me unclean? And what we have here are two competing sources of authority. The Pharisees and scribes are holding up their oral tradition and Jesus is holding up the commandment and word of God. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus actually doesn't directly answer their question. If he would have answered their question, it would have been something like this. Hey, hey here's the deal. You're telling me that we've got to wash our hands before we eat or we're going to be unclean. Hey, that doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible. And that's your oral tradition. And so you know what? My disciples aren't really concerned about that because you're elevating this oral tradition. And yet, hey, here, here, let me tell you, this is what I'm concerned about. You know these commands? What about those? He chooses the fifth commandment. And he says, you know, for the time being, I'm going to lay aside this conversation about washing our hands. And let's talk about honoring your father and your mother. Look what he does. Go to the text. In verse 4, God commanded, honor your father and mother. You heard that before? It's the fifth commandment. Go to Exodus 20. 
It's the first in the commandments of, you know, the first four about your relationship with God. And now what is interpersonally? What's it look like to love your neighbor? Here's the first one. Honor your father and mother. If you were to continue in Exodus 20 and go to verse 21, you'll find the second quote that Jesus says, who says, and whoever reviles or curses father or mother must surely die. So positively, we have the command, honor your father and mother. Negatively, it's if you don't hear the consequences, you must die. That was the law. Now, for the sake of our time, if you want to grab coffee and talk about the relationship between the law and capital punishment in the New Testament, we'll grab a coffee and, and we'll head down that path. For the sake of today, I'm, I'm not going to head down that because that's the, the point of Jesus isn't to, to argue for or against capital punishment. He's talking about these sources of authority. And he says to them, so what are you going to do about this? This is in the law, and this is a command of God. Now, here's what they do. He describes it in verse 5. But you say, God says this, you say this. If anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. You're like, all right, what's going on here? Or if you were to look at a parallel passage in Mark, go to Mark you could go to Mark 7, I'm not today, but he talks about this, this principle of Corbin. And, and here's basically what it is. While you are still alive, you could devote certain monies or properties to the temple so that when you died, it would go to the temple and they could use it. But you could, you could go ahead and devote it to the temple before you died. So here's what they're doing. Your mom and your dad are in need. Mom and dad, I can't help you. I've already devoted that to the temple. Do you hear what's going on here? Jesus is saying, you hypocrites. God says, honor your father and mother or you'll die. And you've created in your oral tradition some type of rule that gets you around having to care for your parents. And he makes it explicit in verse 6. For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Here's what they had done. They elevated that oral tradition to be as authoritative as the word of God such that it basically nullified and made void the word of God. So Jesus is just saying, hey, what's going on here? You're talking about your tradition. What about these commands here? There's an inconsistency here. And we're tempted to do the very same thing. Let me just ask you, what commands of God are you seeking to find a way around to avoid? What commands of God are you most tempted to find this way around, either for your tradition or somebody else's? When we come and we say, hey, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, we can't pick and choose which commands we're going to obey and which ones we're going to try to work around. We're being very hypocritical when we do that. So that's the first blind spot that they didn't get. They neglected to keep his word and at the same time claiming 
to honor him. The second one is this. Hypocrites practice religious worship, but ignore the demands of justice. In verse 7, verses 7 through 9, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29, verse 13. This is a verse 800 years earlier, eight centuries earlier, and he quotes it as if it was written today. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you. He said when Isaiah wrote this 800 years ago, it was written to Jews. He was a prophet from Jerusalem, and it was it was. The reason he can say it was written for you is because their same practices is something Isaiah spoke about 800 years earlier. And here's what he says. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. By quoting this verse, Jesus is saying that the religious leaders of his day aren't too dissimilar from the Jews that the prophet Isaiah preached to. Now, the, the, the third blind spot I'm going to get to in a second is going to address the heart. So we're going to get to the heart. But what I want to do right here is I want to I press into a blind spot that may not be so evident. Tim Challies, in his article on God and hypocrisy, says this. I think we've got the quote up here. God also hates worship that follows the letter of the law while violating its spirit. God wants nothing to do with such worship. He will not tolerate worship that follows the prescribed rituals while ignoring the demands of justice. How am I getting to this from the text? Well, here's what I want to do. I want us to look at another text in Isaiah because it's going to give you, Jesus has quoted Isaiah 29, but in Isaiah 1, the beginning of the whole book, he, he lays out, basically it's laying the groundwork for that 29 quote. And here's what I want you to see. It's, it's a longer one, but, but we need to get this. So lock in here with me. I'm going to read it. In Isaiah 1, verse 11, we've got it on the screen here. This is what Isaiah says. He says, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Isaiah says this to the Jewish people of the day. What elements of worship do you see there? Your multitude of sacrifices. The burnt offerings. The blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. What? But God, we're, we're keeping your commandment. Didn't you command us to bring such sacrifices to you, God? God. 
They were, they, were, they were claiming to worship God. And they were doing very religious things that even God commanded. They were keeping the new moon and the Sabbath and the calling of convocations and the appointed feast. I mean, just go read through the law. They're like, but God is saying, I hate, my soul hates these things now. Why? Your hands are full of blood. What was going on? Let me finish. The next part, picking back up on Isaiah 1, he says this. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. They were worshiping God, but neglecting the demands of justice. It's similar to what we hear at the beginning of Matthew 15. Why don't they want to honor that? Why would you not want to honor your mom and dad? Well, because I've devoted these things to the temple. No, they're, they're neglecting love for their parents out of a religious duty. And so what God is saying, it, it's, he, he's not denying that he commanded them those things, but they're worshiping him with bulls and goats and sacrifices and, and all these symbols, and, and they, they completely have missed seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring just. There are kids who don't have a father. Go spend some and give them some attention. There are widows who need help. If Isaiah were to speak to the church today, I wonder how he would describe our worship. You do this but you could care less about justice issues. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, then our heart should beat for the things that Jesus' heart beat for. And I think true faith is going to be marked for a concern for the least of these. So how can we as a church continue to sing and pray and give on Sundays and leave the door and not really care about justice issues that are at the very heart of things in our city and in our world. We're hypocrites when we do that. There's nothing more we could do to remove the repulsive, revolting, repelling smell of hypocrisy than to really, and I mean really and genuinely, care for the least of these in our city. This will show me that we are caring less about ourselves and more and more about the needs of others. This kind of sacrificial life will be a powerful testimony to the sacrificial life of Christ. Because you know what? If we were to just think for a second, what's at the real heart of hypocrisy? It's I care about me. What? You don't want to care for your, your, your honor, your mom and dad? You've devoted 
You care more about your reputation and what people think of you and what you've given to the temple than your mom and dad? And by the way, this is what we mean when we talk about Redemption Hill and serve Medford. The reason we want to serve our city this way is because the, our city doesn't want another church that's full of angry, self-righteous, hypocritical people. That's not going to draw people into a relationship with Jesus. They want to see a church that truly looks like Jesus and cares for people. Hey, I'm passionate about this. And don't assume as I'm preaching that I feel like we're failing miserably as a church. Because I see a lot of good things. The third blind spot is this. Hypocrites focus on external righteousness but fail to address the heart. This people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. At the heart of hypocrisy is pretending to be someone on the outside that's inconsistent with what's happening on the inside. It's to put on a show. Or what Tim Challey says, it's theatrical religion. Kevin DeYoung in another article on hypocrisy says this, the hypocrite is the Christian who uses the veneer of public virtue to cover the rot of private vice. Let me say that again. The hypocrite is the Christian who uses the veneer of public virtue to cover the rot of private vice. In Matthew 23, later on, Jesus continues to press in with the hypocrites and, and he says this. He says, what well, are you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Guys, if, if we don't overcome hypocrisy, do you know how this affects our small group life? The goal of our small groups isn't for you to show up on Monday night, Tuesday night, or Wednesday night. Guys, I got it all together. You think that's attractive? The goal of the church isn't to show outwardly how much I've got it together. That's not the goal of this thing. The goal of this thing is to live in such a way that shows how perfect and great Jesus is. And I'm a wreck, but it's Jesus who's not, and he's changed me. When I speak about hypocrisy, maybe the reason I'm a little passionate is because this was me. Some of you guys know this about me. I grew up, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in the church. I came to faith at a young age. But I learned how to be a really good actor in the church. It's the same challenge that a lot of my kids will face. 
Oh, you're a preacher's kid. Well, you're supposed to have it together and you're supposed to act a certain way. No, preacher's kids are no different than anybody else. They need Jesus. And so I became really good at this. I I became really good to the point that I looked really great on the outside. And on the inside, I was rotting with the private vice of lust and pornography. And it about wrecked and ruined my life. yeah, pastor just confessed sin. I don't have it together. I'm not up here because I'm the most righteous. I'm up here because I found Jesus and he has satisfied me long more than anything that could ever offer me. And I just want to hold him out to you and plead with you to come to him. And maybe you're that person. Hey, look, I know what it's like to bear the weight of trying to hide and cover up all your sin so that nobody can find out. That's no fun, and eventually it's going to break you, and it broke me. And by God's grace, in in college, in my early years, he he revealed the sin of hypocrisy. But you know what's going to make our small groups thrive? It's not us showing up and pretending to have it together. It's us opening up and saying, man, I'm struggling this week in this area, and I need you guys to help me seek and follow Jesus. And I need to repent, and I need more of Jesus. And that's going to be the type of church that a non-believer steps in and says, you know what, I, I kind of feel welcome here because I don't have it together either. Why do we care so much about what other people think of us? And that's often at the heart of a lot of hypocrisy. For me, it was to put on a show. I've got to please my parents. I've got to please everybody in the church. What if they don't, what if they see something? How's that going to reflect on my parents? Hypocrisy for some of us continues to grow and thrive because we care more about what other people think of us than what God thinks of us. But God looks at the heart. He looks through our theatrical religion, and he sees the genuineness and authenticity, even when we may be completely fooled. So you know the first step forward to overcoming hypocrisy? You know what it is? It's realizing that your greatest problem isn't something outside of you, but inside of you. And if you're that person today, that is just overcome with the weight of trying to pretend and put on a show. My prayer is that today would be the day that 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 weight and burden can be cut loose. And it comes cut loose as we confess our sin and we come to Jesus. Jesus in verse 10 calls the people to him, and he says this, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. Sometimes I disagree because I've eaten some things that I felt like just flat out defiled me. I'm just saying, like, at least amen and down here. I'm just like, yes, you have been defiled. <laughs> Had to lighten the mood a little bit. Felt you guys getting off tense back there on me. No, but really, I, th- I think we get the biological lesson here, right? You eat, you digest it, and there it goes. But what comes out of the mouth 
this defiles a person. So Jesus continues explaining the parable in verse 16. Are you still without understanding? Verse 17, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes in the stomach and the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart? And this is what defiles a person in Proverbs. This is what the Proverbs are about. They talk about the heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of of life. In a book by uh, Timothy Lane and, um, and, uh, and Paul Tripp about how people change, they say this, the heart is the steering wheel of every human being. Everything we do is shaped and controlled by what our heart desires. The heart is the steering wheel. It's driving us. And what does Jesus assume here? In verse 19, for out of the heart come evil thoughts. His assumption is that what's coming out of the heart isn't first good. It's actually pretty bad. He assumes and presupposes a heart that's essentially evil. But this description here, he says, here's what comes out of the heart, evil thoughts. And then what he does is he starts going through the rest of the commandments. Hey, we've already talked about honor God and Father, the sixth commandment. You know where that comes from? Murder. That comes from your heart, yep. Adultery, the seventh commandment, where does that come from? Yep, that's in the list. It comes from the heart, and we could pair sexual immorality there. Theft, the eighth commandment, the heart. False witness, slander, yep, that's coming from the heart. Jesus' point is this, what you do flows from your heart. You do what you do because of what is in your heart. And and getting this point is essential for understanding how you can change and how you can help others change. Get that. Today, we're, yes, we need to change, but we're also, man, as followers of Christ, fishers of men and making disciples who make disciples. How do I help other people change? My children need heart transformation. So when we talk about parenting, if parenting doesn't address what's going on in here, it doesn't matter how good our kids look on the outside because when they go off to college, the junk in the heart's eventually gonna come out. And so my goal in parenting isn't to present forward the most self-righteous kid. It's to help them see that they do what they do because of what's in their heart and point them to Jesus who can change their heart. It's the same in evangelism. As I share the gospel and plead with people, it's not start doing a bunch of good things. It's to help them see their sin and their need for a changed heart. And the same in our small groups. You're a small group leader or you're a part of a group, a part of helping people change. You've got to understand this principle. We do what we do. It's flowing out of our hearts. And so as tempting as it might seem to be, you know what? I've been confronted with, man, there's some things in my life that that I don't like. Well, maybe I'll just need to turn over a new leaf. But that is not the solution. Your solution today is not to turn over a new leaf. C.S. Lewis helps us here. He says this. He says, if I am a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, 
but I shall still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and resown. And so for some of you today, as you're hearing this and you're looking at your heart, and you know, you may be saying, man, there's a lot of junk that's flowing out of me and it's because of what's in my heart. The solution isn't to cut the grass. What's got to happen is there's got to be a plowing up of the heart. And this is the point and the good news of our sermon and our message today. Jesus overcomes our hypocrisy by changing us from the inside out. Jesus overcomes our hypocrisy by changing us from the inside out. Out. The message of the gospel and the message that we try to just repeatedly hold out at Redemption Hill Church is this. God transforms our lives by transforming our hearts. As Tim Keller says, religion is outside in, but the gospel is inside out. This is actually the implicit application of Jesus' text here. If the heart is evil, what's going to come out of the mouth? Evil. But if you change the heart, what's going to come out? Good. This is basically the promise of the new covenant in the Bible. When you go to the Old Testament, I mean, the Old Testament isn't part one and or plan A, and then we got plan B. Really, it's preparing us for Jesus. In Ezekiel 11, the prophet Ezekiel prophesies this, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them, and I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. This is what the prophets talked about. They were preparing us for when Jesus would come and say this, if a person is not born again, he will not enter into the kingdom of God. That's what the born again language is about. I don't just need to add a few good things to my life. I need to die and Jesus needs to come to life in me. This is what the the New Testament talks about when it says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Jesus changes us when we first respond to him inwardly. Not by taking the speck out of somebody else's eye, but addressing the log that's right here in our hearts. When we turn to him inwardly with eyes of faith, seeing our sin, confessing our sin, And then hearing the message of Jesus when he died on the cross. He died for your hypocrisy. He's he's calling out on the cross. Don't pretend to be good. Man, just let it out. I'm good. Come to me. Trust me. Believe in me. Follow me. 
when we as a church make much of Jesus, you know what this is going to do? This is going to free us from the constant need to hide and cover up. Because it tells us this, God accepts us, not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. And it frees you and your small group to show up and say, you know what, man, I, I don't have it together this week, and here's the stuff that's going in my heart, because the good news of the gospel is Jesus doesn't just accept you, he's coming in and working, and he's got a plan, and he's going to bring it to completion as we draw near to him and see the gospel applied more and more to help us to seek and treasure Jesus amongst all of this, these idols in our lives. And when we do this collectively as a church, you know what the people on the outside peeking in? They're no longer going to be repelled. They're going to be drawn. So my prayer for our church this Easter season is that we would be a church that is known for repentance and confession of sin and making much of Jesus. And today for you may be the day for the first time you embrace Jesus and have a heart change. You can do that through confession, repentance, and faith today, right now. Call upon him right now. But for some of you, it may be cutting the burden of hypocrisy that you've been carrying around way too long. And maybe you need to go find somebody to come pray with, to confess your sin, and take a step forward. Would we hear and understand and see? and be changed. Let me pray for us. Father, God, this, is, this is weighty and it's heavy because we love our reputation. We love ourselves. But God, we need your grace today to see ourselves the way you already see us. to not try to get around your word, but as, as our hearts are changed, that we would want to keep every word. That we wouldn't try to get around justice issues, but that we would see a heart that says, I want to love God with my whole heart, and I want to love my neighbor as, their self, as myself. And so that we take steps, God. We need your grace to help us care for justice issues, not for self-righteousness sake, to look good, but because our heart beats with your heartbeat for the least of these. And God, ultimately, we want to be a church who's known for not worshiping you in vain, but worshiping you out of right affections flowing from our hearts. God, help us to do that so that you might would be honored today. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.